Let's be seated, gang. This is too much fun. It couldn't be church. Uh, we're continuing today on that other tangent. There will be probably five more sermons like this about what's, uh, what's troubling the world and what can we do about it. And sometimes these are debatable things and arguable things and things that the church needs to be involved in. I have some material that's very, very rich. One uh, is out here. If you want a sign for any of the material, this is about the subject of abortion. God formed in our mother's wombs. And uh, I would like to share that with you. I'm going to go very fast today. I have to use a lot of scriptures. I think everything is the scriptures, and I'll make a point of that. It's not a matter of culture. It's not a matter of just how you feel about things. But what does the Bible say about it? And the Bible says a lot about this subject. So I want to leave it with you. Pat has a, 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 a short one about uh, the idea of tolerance. Uh, what will you do? And the one I have out there, and it's a long one. And the reason is, don't ask for it if you don't want to read it, because it's a lot of information and a lot of scriptures which are there. So I'd just like to say that the sermon title would be God Formed in Our Mother's Wombs, and that's from Job 31, verse 15. Now, if you wish to write these down, there are some wonderful scriptures. There are two or three I think you must write down and that you must remember. It's so important as you talk with people and try to persuade the world to go a better way, a biblical way, and I think God's way. First of all, what is the Bible's claim to an unborn child? What does the Bible really say about an unborn child? Well, let's turn to Jeremiah 31, verse 3, when he says, I have loved you with an eternal love. This is why in loving kindness, I have created you. Have you ever had a long-legged teeny bopper say to you, uh, Mother, I wish you had never brought me into this world. And you probably, you could do a double take and say, I know what you mean. And you know, that's kind of a sad relationship for people to have with one another, isn't it? And my lands, you know the opportunity to compete in this world, this veil of tears, for all of its problems and all of its weaknesses and all of its sins. It is an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God and abide with Jesus Christ at the Father's right hand for eternity. And so it's a blessing. And God looked upon birth and the child in the womb as something extraordinarily important. I know that you know this, but not everyone does, and you need to share that with them. The second scripture is Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5, and it says this, Before I formed you in the womb of your mother, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You know, God saw even an ugly little oaky, uh, a possibility in me and in you. You're beautiful, you're young, and, and just think, he sees in you some grand scheme, some idea, some important thing that you will become the instrument of carrying out in his word. And that will lead to eternal life, you see, being born again and being uh, able to believe the Bible and to obey the Bible. And then I see in Galatians 1.15, as Paul recounts his life, notice what he says, but when he had set me apart, even before I was born. You see, there was a plan for this tiny little creature in the mother's womb. It had been set aside as part of the ages, the consummate plan of God Almighty. 
And just think how important that is. And then I would think of Psalms 139, 13 through 16. Matter of fact, go to 17, it doesn't matter. But what a powerful argument for being God-formed in our mother's womb. Therefore, do not rent asunder the womb. Don't send alkali. Don't send forceps. Don't send those things into the mother's room, for it's a sanctified place in the mother's womb. And I love that, don't you? You've created me in most being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And you know, one of those things, I believe it's verse 17, he says, he says, truly, I'm fearfully, and I'm wondrously made. And you know, if you've had children, and you look at that little tiny one in your arm there, and you can see how exquisite, how perfect, how godlike the creature is, this tiny little thing that is God-formed within your womb. What a wonderful attribute God has given us. Now, we talk about two laws, two very important laws. First of all, in biology, every one of you who knows something of biology know there's a consummate law, and it is the law of self-preservation. It puts a, a numero uno first, see? And we always are first, ourselves. But there is a better law and a competing law and that is the law of symbiosis. I promised to just use one big word, and that's the word for today, symbiosis, that two different creatures can live together to a mutual advantage. Actually, it's the church in action, isn't it? We see that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, how the hand has to do with the eye and how the feet carry the message of the mouth and how we all are part the cells. Uh, the individuals are part of the whole body, and he calls the church the body. See how intricate and perfect it is. It really is. And uh, we see that as a mother's love. And you see it manifested so many times that a mother has laid down her life for her child. I don't know that men are that good at it, but you know that mothers certainly are and have in the past demonstrated that. Every one of you knows of the little bird with a crippled wing like this, and she's heading out way, and the old fox is going after her instead of after the nest. But birds were designed to fly, and they're safer there, and she's jeopardizing her life that she might preserve the nest, her babies, her young ones, you see. And there are many examples of that. You know, the algae and the lichen, is a symbiosis, a relationship of two different things, and they both prosper. Humankinds have never learned about that. Hey, here is the ultimate. How about the cells? If you, were a, if you were a god, would you have designed things this way? Hey, guys, you cells, let's get together and let's all be kidneys. Uh, man, I wouldn't do that, would you? But you see, symbiosis says, you know, if the whole creature is to exist, we've got to have the kidneys, don't we? We've got to have, Paul says, the uncomely parts, the unseemly parts, in order that the external physiognomy might be more appropriately attributed to and praised, see? But we all like the higher things, the blessed things, but that's part of God's rules. The mother lays down her life. She sacrifices for her children. And in that case, we have to be careful of what's done with the womb. It's so important. No man, no woman has ever in their lifetime created life in the laboratory. No Russian, no American, no body since time began has ever created life in the laboratory or any other way. Man, if you believe in Frankenstein, I got a bridge out here I'd like to sell you. No one has ever created life in this veil of tears. 
Men and women don't even do that. They take the life God has given them and then united in God's gracious way, bring forth life. But it's really at the sanction of God Almighty, isn't it? You are God formed in your mama's womb. I believe that with all of my heart. It is important to remember that. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. You know, there was something I'm supposed to do, something you're supposed to do, and he has chosen you when he was designing a grand scheme for the universe. And Jesus, his architect, creates from nothing something that's very exquisite and something very orderly and very beautiful. You read Romans 1.20 if you want to find out about that part. And listen to this. This is, in a way, a curse. Look at Hosea 9, verses 11. You read through parts of that, but then also especially verse 14 as we hear this. God's people had broken his laws. Were they want to do that? About every time they did anything in life, they seemed to want to break God's laws and rules. And society today doesn't give two hoots about God's laws. Only the born again, only the blood bought really care about what God has to say. That's what makes life relevant. It's what does God have to say in the long run of things. And he uses this unusual phrase, no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they do rear children, I will bereave them of all they have of everyone. He says, Hosea 9, 11 verse 14, you break my laws and you're going to have trouble. Hasn't that always been the case? Look at the great nations who rose uh, who may be even known of God and then who turned away from God. And what do you know about them? Look at the great kingdoms that have gone and, and risen to the sky. And then we don't even know the names of one of their kings. We don't even know basically where the city was. And maybe only jackals inhabit what was once one of the greatest cities and countries on the face of the entire earth. Because when you leave God, you condemn your nation as well as your own life. And I think that's so important. Actually, King James uses that word for no conception, meaning a miscarrying womb. And you know, if the womb doesn't prosper, there'll be no life. If the womb doesn't prosper, there can be no life. Be careful of the, it's a holy place. I really believe that. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mama's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God. And the maker of all things. Who made all things? God. Jesus Christ is chief architect. I think that's important to remember. Even those things that are brought forth from the womb have been made in the image of God. May we not say then with criticism, the Bible states inequivocally that God alone is the author of life. And sum it up with Job. Job 33 verse 18 said this, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So who made us? The Spirit of God and the pneuma, the breath of life, was brought forth not by a spank on the bottom, because that's the way we enter into the welcome into the life, little guy, right on the derriere, and wah, and life begins. And from then on in, it's some scary thing, isn't it? But it wasn't the spank on the bottom, though, by the way, that could be used to great advantage 
up until 35 or 39 or maybe 48. Uh, that needs a little bit more doing in this veil of tears, you believe me. That's God's way. And I like that, don't you? I believe that he is the maker of all things. Isaiah 44, verse 24 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. That's just as clear as a bell. I can just see you learned theologians with their collars on backwards. Trying to, oh, well, that doesn't really what, what that says. It doesn't mean that. But, you know, what does he say? Who formed you in your mother's womb. And look at Ecclesiastes. He's the maker of all things. We have said that and we have repeated it. You know, the Bible is the origin of our belief that life is precious and begins in the womb. The fetus is part of our humanness. And listen to Luke 1, verse 26. Actually, it goes through verse 44, but remember, uh, Mary and, and, her, and her cousin Elizabeth, they talked to one another, and when they met, the, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And there was a recognition that here was the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. You see, there was a personality there. There was a spark there. There was an emanation. To have terminated then, that precious thing in the womb would have been to kill God. And not on the cross and not according to an appointed time. What a sad thing that it might have been done. And I think that six-month-old fetus of John was a very important testimony. This is what makes us human and what it is. The learned Supreme Court has decreed that until a baby is born, it may be aborted. And you know, 10 seconds after it's born, it's, it's illegal to kill it, but you can stab it to death as it leaves its mother's womb. And that's legal. And you know, are you really convinced that there's a technical difference in that? 10 seconds difference? And one is legit, according to man, and one is illegitimate according to God. You can decide about that. You know, a, a guy up at the college, I tend to run into college people a lot since I'm up there. And they said, Al, you're a smart guy. Uh, can you really believe that, uh, you know, abortion is killing? And uh, you wouldn't really call it murder, would you? You're too smart for that. I said, John, if if I was that smart, I'd have to say if you kill something, it was murder, especially if it was done for hate, hate, hatred or inconvenience. Uh, I'm, I'm smart. I can see that. I'm not too bright, but I know that much. See. And you know what? It's hard to morally justify murder. It, it's not an easy thing to do, and we don't want to do that. We can't justify it. So give them the word murder every time you get the chance. Is that gross on your part? No, it's just simply logical, isn't it? You're killing something alive, God formed in the mother's womb. And so, listen to Zechariah 2.8. For he touches you, he touches you, he who touches you, touches the apple of my eye. God is speaking. When you kill that something precious, you're killing the apple of God's eye. I don't want to do that. That's a dangerous thing to do and a scary thing to do. And it leaves us all with a trauma. It especially leaves the, the young woman with a terrible trauma because it doesn't seem right and it really isn't. What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man 
that you have crowned him with honor and with glory. I think we are crowned with the Holy Spirit, the ability to will, to intellect. That, by the way, is Psalms 8, 4, and 5, and it's quoted many times in the Bible, isn't it? At least three times that I know of. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should visit him? For you've crowned him with honor and with glory. And when I look at it, I have been made in the image of God. I have been, and you have been. And therefore, take care of this beautiful thing that we call a human being, whether it's very young or whether it's very old. And now we're getting rid of old folks because, well, it's not a quality of life that we would like. And uh, Hitler did the same thing. It's just a matter of practice. It's a matter of history. It looked least bother to look into it. And I think one thing we could say, oh, when is uh, the fetus human? Well, certainly at the moment of conception and no later than any eight days. And there's a reason for that. There's a good biological reason. God doesn't abort uh, from time to time in the, mince, uh, the menstrual cycle. He doesn't abort a living creature in that sense of the word. And so, hey, this may uh, influence your thoughts about a lot of things that are being voted on today. At least do it in an intelligent way and at least judge it from what the Bible might comment. The womb is used many times in the Old Testament, and it's derived from the Hebrew word rechem, meaning compassion. And here we see the compassion for the living tissue of the mother's womb to that which is enfolded within it. And you know, there's several symbols, aren't they? This is the good one, the fallopian tubes. This is the mother's womb. This is the golem, the sac, and the little baby is contained there. Now, there is an evil use of this, you know, this, this is another evil use, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's an imitation of that which is good. And doesn't uh, good things, don't, doesn't Satan always imitate good things? You know, always makes it evil. You know, th this is a satanic or devilish symbol, isn't it? But it ought not to be. The womb should never be touched with symbolism that's satanic, but only holy and only pure. We read in Psalms 139, verse 13 to 17, but especially in that 17, my substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret. And where are we made in secret? In our mother's womb. When does God give us a soul? Oh, very early on. And it does not occur 10 seconds after birth. It occurs from conception on. I think that's a powerful sermon all of us ought to realize. And then remembering Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put him on. Because in the symbol of the womb is the word enduo. Actually in biblical word. Put him on. You ever been cold and clammy and mama slips up behind you and slips a big old blanket around you? That's enduo. See, as many of you were baptized into Christ have been warmed by his robes. Have been enfolded. Literally it's golem enfolded and we can't have life without being enfolded and that gives a new feeling and a new appreciation of baptism doesn't it oh you've put him on you've been enfolded as a fetus in its mother's womb you are now protected and sanctified by the bag of waters and the magnificent surface which isolates the baby from all shock and harm until about nine months well my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. You know, there's a great lesson to be made in the past. Many of us here re remember World War II and the ugliness. Of course, I tell you, uh, goodness, uh, 
Abortion's been around since, since the days of Babylon. They actually find brass scallops, which were used for scraping the wound. And uh, it's all, but we have made a great art of it. We have made a tragedy of killing things in the womb. And I think when we break that rule called thou shalt not kill, we bring on the judgment which he said would come to all nations and to all people. And you know, when the gates are down and in a short time one death wrongfully committed and tolerated becomes numberless deaths wrongfully tolerated. And this is the law of the Roman circus, isn't it? Calvin Miller said this, it's strange that Spartacus forgot to tell his brothers in rebellion that they should all be crucified if they failed. And when there are too many crosses, there are none. A drop of blood is ghastly. A sea of blood is accepted. We weep above a single dying beast, but we whistle past the slaughterhouse. You see, so much blood shed becomes if you will, unimportant. And if I say maybe the judgment that has to do with killing small children affects nations, you just think of the great ideas of China, the largest country on the face of the earth, 1.2 billion people. And you only have one child, and believe you me, they will see that you have one child. Of course, unless you're a privileged member of the honchos and what have you. Or you think of France. Uh, a great and powerful nation that conquered the world at one time doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Matter of fact, they're not much help at anything I can think of, unless it's perfume or something effeminate. At any rate, what happened to mama's love? Because sometimes you know there is a difference there. I heard a, a, a lovely woman all dressed up, very professional. She had more degrees than I had. And uh, she said, well, you know, I can't think of a worst thing than to have a grumpy bunch of old men legislate what happens to my body. And that sounds very intellectual and very modern and very cool, doesn't it? But I tell you what, there's a little problem there, isn't there? It's still illegal to commit suicide, and if that's part of her body, she's killing part of her body. And you know what? Killing things is still breaking God's law, and it still is murder. Call it murder, real folks. It's at least it sets a clear example for all. Listen to Isaiah 43.1. But now this is what the Lord says. Now I like that, don't you? He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. I can just remember... When one of those first little fat babies came to my house, she's sitting here in the second row, and how I just wanted to hold her up and say, she's mine, man. Or and even Simba the lion, remember? He held that little funny fat cub up to the whole animal kingdom, and he was looking around, but he was saying, this is mine. But you know, God is claiming you. You are mine. Doesn't that just make the hair on the back of your neck? You know, I don't know what he had in mind for a big, ugly guy from Oklahoma. Not too bright with a big mouth on him. But there must be some person. He even liked me. And he even benefited me. And he even provided a redemption for me. And for you, too, who are pretty and who are young and who are talented and intellectual. You're something else. What a group. 
I don't know. It just seems so logical to me. Notice the possessing, loving concern of God to the life he created. To lovingly care for children is a godlike attribute. It was seen in Hannah of old in 1 Samuel 1, 10 and 11. Remember what she did? She didn't have a son, but she said, God, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. For there she says, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And here's this little boy going off with a little bag. And I could just see I would cry trying to give Jesse away. And uh, I don't know whether I could do it. And those old men raising him in that stuffy old temple, you know. But he was given to God. And did that great man prosper? Indeed he did. And so did Hannah. Uh, they're just on loan. See how precious they are. If you just realize they're on loan, you fold them, you develop and you swat them, you adjure them, you warn them, and you bring them up a tall, precious human being that says, Mom and Papa, I'm so glad I came to your house. And you know, they, you have genuinely said that and you have heard that I know many times. You know, she was miserable in not being a mother. They thought she was drunken covering her. Her sorrow, she was weeping in godly sorrow and God answered, you see. And then look at the New Testament comment in two, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded that now lives also in you. Isn't that something? Grandmother. Grandmother, that is something, isn't it? You know, I was just thinking about the, the uh, ministry of the jail, and we have a lot of that. And I was uh, preaching in the jail to five women, and it had been a slow day, and we thought, you know, let's talk about our children. And of course, everyone was weeping in 15 seconds. Let's talk about our babies. Where are they today? And they didn't know except one said, I got them, grandma, and she's taking care of my babies. So that's a legitimate thing, isn't it? Women, teach your, your little girls about that wonderful thing, how important that is. Auschwitz, Treblinka, Buchenwald, and Dachau were not just isolated horrors. They became the pattern of godless actions and a conscienceless nation. This was the edge of a slippery precipice that only increased the descent into the maelstrom of horrors. And uh, listen more. You know, Calvin Miller, if you haven't uh, listened to Calvin Miller or wrote and written, uh, you're missing out. You have a lacking life. Listen to what he says, I wish I could talk like this. I heard the ballad of a fool whose simple song made synonyms of life and death and cursed the right and called it wrong. And that's sometimes what we're doing. Remember, which is it? Pro-choice or pro-life? One's right, one's wrong. Come play along the precipice. Don't worry that the cliff is steep. The little flowers on the brink are daisies. Ah, but their roots run deep. And we're on a slippery slope. Hanging on to the stems of daisies is not safety. And when you don't have the word of God and you're not living by the word of God, that is a tremendously slippery slope and it just degenerates and degenerates and degenerates. Stick with God. It always works better. And eventually you see the elimination of the old folks. 
in Germany, I'd be at an age now where I might be considered inefficient for the state to support, see? And racially inferior people, see? And finally, abortions and all those things. John Powell in Abortion, the Silent Holocaust says, telling of a children's home for the retarded and handicapped that was run by Sister Rutilia in Germany at the time of the Holocaust. And they said they just came around in trucks and took all of the children and dumped them in there like sacks of wheat and took them to the killing centers. So it wasn't just the abortion of babies. It was the abortion of all those who were not Ubermensch, the Superman. See? 60 million people took on an entire world and almost pulled it off because they thought they were supermen and they were super swine. You see, <laughs> we were scared to death of them for a while. This is part of a philosophy that says that life is not worth living under the right circumstance. And we have the right to select who lives and who does not. And that's what we're doing with abortion. We are deciding in advance. And what's happened is abortion has simply become a birth control method in America. That's all in the world there is. If you want to call down to the crisis center there and talk about that, uh, the caring center, if you will, uh, they assume about 50 million babies have been aborted since January of uh, 1973. 50 million? That's more than all that were killed in World War II. Far more. Because we reckon only 38 million in World War II. That's incredible, isn't it? You see, when there's too much blood, there's no blood at all. That makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't make sense, but that's the way we think. And there is every life that's worth living in the jail there. Also, there was a little red-headed Irish girl. She was beautiful. I'd have to say she was stunning. As she was weeping, she was uncontrollable. And I got, they asked me, since usually I was an older fella, to counsel her because she had had an abortion and was having a traumatic experience. And I was able to help over several weeks. I finally got to meet the boyfriend and uh, he was a tall, handsome guy. He spoke well, dressed well. I don't know, he dressed well enough to be a bootlegger. I, I don't know. But he, uh, he said, oh, Mr. Allen, I really want to thank you for your help with so-and-so. He said, uh, you know, women tend to get very emotional about these kind of things. Well, I said, well, murder is something you get impassioned about. Oh. And uh, the conversation just ended right there. And I hope that she's gotten her heart and her mind straight because that's not the answer. No, there are a dozen other ways to take care of unwanted babies. God forbid that there should ever be an unwanted baby. Listen to this, put a star by it. I'm running out of time. But Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, put a star by it, please. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive that thing? Does not he who guards your life know about it? Will he not repay each person as he has done things about that? You know, the German people said, well, we didn't know about uh, the 
Holocaust of four to six million people uh, burned, burned to death. We didn't know about that. And you know that for years on in, at Belson, Treblinka, Buchenwald, Dachau, they, they actually burned alive 180, not always alive, but often alive, 187,000 people in one day and where the big concern was about railroad schedules. If they'd had better transportation, they'd have killed 200,000 and obliterated their existence on the earth in smoky ash. And the sky came down greasy black with human flesh. Greasy black. And if you've ever smelt the fire on flesh, you know that is an unmistakable smell. There is nothing like it. And maybe it's why God has chosen a picture of hell as fire. May not be the only view he has of it, but certainly a part of it. Well, I liked the conclusion that I would make. And it says this. I saw, don't ask me why, Hugh Hefner in some kind of program, it caught my eye, sounded pretty intellectual and I don't know, they were having an award for somebody, but Hugh Hefner said, uh, sang the song, thank heavens for little girls. It made me sick to my stomach. Hugh Hefner's view of womanhood is disgusting, disgusting. And you know, here he is, so suave, and everybody's saying how cool Hugh Hefner is, and what a lifestyle he has, what a worthless lifestyle he has, and he has nothing when he stands before the judgment seat of God. What can I do about that? Well, pray for caring sinners. Pray for those who are having these problems. Pray daily. Join a group, the Caring Center, a crisis pregnancy center. That's as good as we have. Did you know out of 10 churches participating, this little church, without even a sermon about it or anything, gave a fourth of the money that was given? And there were some giant churches that were involved there. They didn't get very involved. Study the literature. Pick it up out there. Sign up if you want some copies run off. Vote, agitate, defend, and speak out for pro-life decisions in our democratic process. Now listen, I will conclude with Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and may I add in Al's comment, may live forever. Abortion is rarely an option. Almost never an option as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation.